Welcome to the family with L.A. Nick, Alex Brand Bernard Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brand Bernard, and Cassie Schrader. We'll be right back. A couple of special guests coming up next with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive introduces the new kids on the block, not the band. It's their three newest dealerships. Experience the Walzer Way at Wyzetta Nissan on 394 or Walzer Polar Chev and Walzer Polar Mazda on Highway 61 in White Bear Lake. I've had all three general managers on the podcast, and I can honestly say that Mike, John, and Brett are some of the finest car people in the seven-county Mosquito Control District. This month, in addition to great deals, they're searching for used cars and will pay Kelly Blue Book Excellent whether you trade or sell outright. Some reconditioning can apply, so please, no flood cars from Apple Valley. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Chevy, Mazda, or Nissan, check out the new kids on the block. Don't tell them Tom sent you. Just show up and be amazed. That stuff never works anyway. Ooh, I love this song. I can't believe that's The House of the Rising Sun. Eric Burden, one of the best of all time. Yeah. Chat story, though. Our house. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Megan Clarity and Jack Moore. 22 hours, an American nightmare. That's an American nightmare. God, we are living in an American nightmare. Hi there. How you doing, Megan? Good, how are you? Marvelous. Is Jack with you or are you by yourself? Yes, I'm here. Well, Jack is there. Jack's okay, the good. quiet one. <laughs> Jack is the... So am I, actually. Don't you think, Catherine, that I'm the quiet one? Yeah. Yeah. Neither oh, of you are quiet. a shot. The new chilling true crime series comes from the award-winning journalist at WTOP in Washington, D.C. Debuted in June, 22 Hours in American Nightmare is a 10-episode series capturing the tragedy of the D.C. Mansion murders through an investigation and storytelling by WTOP reporters Megan Clarity and Jack Moore, produced by WTOP and its digital news director, Julia Ziegler. Uh, WTOP, that's owned, that's owned by the Hubbard family, isn't it? I think. It is, yes. I thought so, yeah. Tell Ginny to leave you alone. I've known Ginny since she was about two years old, so if she ever picks on you, tell her to calm Listen, down. Listen, I'm impressed that you got our last names right. I, I mean, Moore is very hard to pronounce. <laughs> yes, Moore is really right, hard to pronounce. It. Jack is not easy. Moore is not easy. <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, you know, it's interesting. We just had a, had a man on, a very smart guy, John, uh, uh, was talking about uh, the the because of the Epstein situation, the trafficking of young girls to powerful men, and and the number of powerful people in Washington D.C. and of course all across America, taking advantage of young girls is makes you want to vomit. It's just terrible. So I mean, what is with D.C.? I mean, I just yeah. What, what is, is what's with going on in Washington D.C.? Megan and Jack. <laughs> Good God. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because this story, I mean, this story was not a political story, which we're not used to out here. Right. Um, not to make right. light of it in any way, but but it was such a different story than you hear out of like the Capitol Hill, you know, fraud and, and all, all the kind of, you know, normal evil webs you hear about. This was this was um, a completely I mean, normal's hard to say because what's normal. But yeah, um, yeah. this family was just kind of having a normal day in May. You know, I mean, they were just living their lives. And the next day we all find out through this fire 
that they had been taken hostage Ugh. in their house on like a you know on just a random day, and then not only were they taken hostage, they were tortured, they were extorted, and then their house was set on fire, and no one is happening all like blocks away from the vice president's house in this really well-to-do neighborhood, and nobody knew what was going on. Whoa. They were making calls out to family members and you know appointments to cancel them, and nobody had any idea. So it just this story, we, we've covered this, and obviously I don't want to take over this interview. Jack has a lot to say here, but we, we started covering this when the fire broke out back in 2015. And now when we covered it all the way through the trial. So for us, it was a very like kind of like a hometown story, less about, you know, Washington as you guys think about it and more about like, oh my God, this happened a couple blocks from my house. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. Uh, it, it just... We had, we had just finished talking during the break about, uh, is it the beginning of the end for the United States of America? Because it, it seems, because of your story, because of John's story in the previous hour, it seems like things are getting much worse. Or are we just finding out about these horrible things now? Is that the difference? I know. It's hard to, I mean, there's so many bad stories coming out. It's hard uh, to It's a, in the whole world, though. It is the United States. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. And, I mean, I think, you know, just, to Megan's point about, you know, us be kind of being hometown reporters and this being a hometown story, we this was an outlier. You know, this this kind of thing, even in big cities, doesn't happen all the time. It's a it's a really kind of um, really rare occurrence. Well, OK, so you know what it reminded us, guys, it's it, it like the home invasion idea, like in cold blood. I mean, yeah, some yep. of the worst stories yeah. that really have stuck out in history has been the idea of you being vulnerable in your own space right there's something just that's extra awful and people can maybe relate to in a way because that's your sanctuary that's where you're supposed to feel safe and you know whether you have the top of the line security system or a you know a chihuahua that's supposed to, to guard your door it's like you're, that's your space you're supposed to feel so so whenever the, there have been there was a similar case in connecticut a couple of years ago and that really captured natural national attention as well i think because of that idea you know have you ever yeah. have, you ever, you. have you ever had your house broken into I have not ever had my house broken into. I tell you, now. once somebody's Although in your house. Although now I feel like. <laughs> once once, <laughs> yeah, once right. somebody's in your house, you never are comfortable there again. Really? No, I had somebody break into a house I had in Los Angeles, and I, I never felt at home again, ever. I just didn't. You, you, you had to move? I had to move. I had to move. I did live there for another year, but I, I had to move because I, I was just never comfortable. Really? Nope. Yeah. I could understand that, absolutely. Why do you think it is, uh, and again, maybe we're just finding out about it now because of the magnificent reporting of people like Megan Clarity and Jack Moore. You heard me. But anyway, um, uh, do you think people now uh, think they can do whatever they want? There are no consequences for anything. I can do whatever I want, and if you try to stop me, I'm a victim of you. I've noticed that over and over. I do what I want, and if you try to stop me, then I'm a victim because you picked on me. So you can't win that argument, right? Yeah. I mean, what was interesting in this trial, it kind of speaks to that, is the man who was convicted for killing these three three adults and a child. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible crime. Never, he, he it was almost like he just blindly denied doing it. Yeah. And obviously that's what you're going to do if your, your defense is that I, you know, I wasn't involved. But there were even things that were sort of like human nature, like, okay, so, so this is kind of getting a little bit of a, off a tangent, but they think he, he used his van to commit part of the crime. So a couple days later, his van is found burned. Oh. And in his story, it's because his brother took the van. Well, if I'm, I mean, Jack was saying this to me, and we were, you know, because now this is like our lives and we live and breathe it now. But he goes, it makes sense to me that you would say, you know what, if my brother used my van, hell yeah, I burned it because I didn't want anything to do with it. And... I didn't know what happened in that van. Like, it's almost more human. It's more normal to me to be like, yeah, I did something wrong, but this is why. As opposed to just blatantly being like, I don't know how that van got burned. I don't know how these people were. You know, like, it was just, it almost spoke to the psychosis of the person who was mm -hmm. accused of committing these crimes that he was just so blatantly like, no, I didn't. I'm the victim in this. Right. And, and Tom, so um, he, the, the man who was convicted maintains his complete innocence. He is appealing his conviction. But... Um, to, to Megan's point, he, um, on, on kind of, there's, for example, they were able to look at his search history on his phone, and there are some very damning searches. The first search that he did after these uh, murders had been committed was how to beat a lie detector. Other oh, searches, yeah. you know, he was looking up, he was looking up news, um, 
news articles about the crime. He was looking up um, countries with no extradition treaty oh, yeah. to the U.S. That's so a big one. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's but, a big one. But in his in his story, he has very you know exonerating things. Well, oh no, it wasn't about this. It was this. You know, which I think um, you know to Megan's point goes to somebody who has refused to accept any measure of guilt about anything related to this crime in complete denial. Now, in his mind, he maintains his innocence. Yeah, it, but there was like too much, I don't know, not too much innocence, but it just it makes sense that if you were involved in something, you would just be like, listen, if I had a small part to pay, play in this, this is what I did. I didn't do the big thing. And he's saying like across the board, I did nothing. So it just was, it, it makes for an interesting story, that's for sure. Why did he do it? Do, is there a, since he denies that I didn't really do anything, it, it, were you able to find out why it happened in the first place? To quickly answer your question, it's money. Yeah, what a um, shock. He, prosecutor said, you know, Darren Wint wanted a life he couldn't have. He was engaged. He couldn't afford a, a ring. He had to renew his green card, which cost a couple hundred bucks. And the Savopoulos family were very well-to-do, and they had sort of, you know, our idea, I guess, of the American dream. Has, they came from a, an immigrant family who built a business here in the U.S., and that business was successful, and they were, you know, living the life. And they were, by all accounts, very generous and, and very nice people, but they had lots of money. He ends up getting away with forty grand, um, and, and you know, only for a couple of days before he was arrested, mm-hmm. but... To, to hear, and I don't know, I mean, I, I don't think we should detail specifically for your listeners if they want to listen to 22 Hours. Yeah, absolutely. I hope they do, but but basically it was it was not a quick death. It was not a, a, it was a, it was a really horrible thing that happened to these people. And to do that for what a lot of people consider, yes, 40 grand is a lot of money, but it kind of, at least to me as a reporter, it didn't add up. It seemed like it was a crime of passion and he got away with you know, uh, not enough money to kill a child. That's for damn sure. I mean, there is no cost to that, but it just was like the, the crime didn't match with the motive to me. Yeah, 40 um, grand. And so we explore that in the podcast of why $40,000. And we, we believe it's because, you know, that's basically the amount of money that wouldn't raise a red flag. And we go into that. But uh, it, it's, it's complicated. And I think that the motive really is a part of that's a little bit of, of an open ended question. Mm-hmm. And I think. You know, um, 22 hours is a long time, really, you know, to imagine people um, being restrained in their own home. And you have to imagine for the person who committed this without, you know, um, maybe there wasn't a lot of planning going into it. And um, you have when you start to examine his psychology, you know, what was going through his mind? Did he go in with a plan? What was the plan from the beginning? And um, when did things turn? This is such a you know, fascinating... Was there a thought that, and, and especially with the victims, was there a thought that maybe they were going to be able to get out of this? You know, so there's kind of, there's evidence that they were giving into his demands. You know, the money, the $40,000 ransom that was delivered by an assistant of the, of the father who was a successful businessman here in D.C., you know, that was he was making, you know, a number of calls to his business to arrange this this payment. And none of those calls raised any red flags because he sounded he appeared to sound normal on the phone. So I think there was something maybe a thought that, uh, you know, if they just give in to their kidnappers demands, they would be able to get out of it alive. Has it always been prevalent or is it really, really over the top now? That if you're successful, people think you deserve to be harmed and I should get some of it because you don't deserve to be as successful as you are. Is that part of it? I, think I it- don't know. What's interesting about – I don't know how to answer that question because what, there's another kind of – one of the questions we have is Darren Wint worked for Sava Savopoulos, but it was 10 years earlier yeah. that he lost his job. And he lost his job because he didn't come to work. It wasn't anything <laughs> – you know, that'll happen. Yeah. In South so, American countries, right. it's prevalent. I mean, that, that's yeah. what happens. If you're successful, <laughs> you're getting kidnapped. Right. Right. That's just the way it is. So how how this. Yeah. How 10 years later. I mean, was it the the richest guy he's ever known? But I mean, to me, it's like, I, how could you have thought for 10 years this guy doesn't deserve it and then make as many mistakes as he did while he was, cre- you know, yeah. committing the crime that eventually he was caught? And the one in the kind of a key part of the crime, um, remember, is after they were um, after the money was dropped off, after the um, 
the victims were killed, the house was set on fire. So, and it just so happened that a person was driving through the neighborhood and saw smoke, you know, coming out of the upstairs bedroom and called 911. And the firefighters arrived very quickly. So I think that with the fire, he was trying to cover his tracks. He was trying to get away. And it just, you know, fate intervened and the firefighters got there. So the whole house was not destroyed by flames. And they were able to pull a lot of evidence from the house that ended up linking him to the crime. Now, do we have you for another segment? Because I, I see that you were booked for 30 minutes. Do we have you for another segment do you, or do you have to go? I think so. We're planning on being here if you oh, good, want to good. talk yeah, to Oh, good, good. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Michael Bryant joined as a prominent attorney. Big shot attorney. <laughs> Big uh, shot. Prominent since when? Uh, <laughs> last week while you guys were gone, I became prominent. <laughs> as we go to a break here, I, um, I got to tell Megan and Jack a story about – so do you ever deal with, with, with Ginny? Uh, from the hub, Jenny Hubbard, or, or actually her name is Yeah, Jenny yeah, Morris. we met her a couple of times. We had our, our 50th anniversary down here in D.C. Right. She came down and we had, you know, she was, yeah. So I was doing a speech in front of this entire radio audience. I mean, there were a few thousand people there and we're talking about careers. And, all, and I was up on stage and, and Jenny was in the audience and I said, you know, and when I worked for the Hubbard Broadcasting Company, KSTP in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, was going really well. But then as soon as uh, as soon as Jenny turned nine, she fired me and there was a pause. And she said, I was only two. <laughs> Had to get rid of me at two years old. Thank you, Jenny. Now, it's, I tell you what, they're very aggressive. And, I, you know, I'm only bringing this up because we're going to break here. But the Hubbards are very aggressive in the in the radio and podcasting uh arena because you know podcast one and all the rest it's really good to see somebody that has been in the business that long that's that uh, fond of, of radio and television broadcasting i think it's just terrific i really do yeah and is willing to pivot a little bit towards a trend and see how it goes I mean, yeah absolutely it's, it's a great thing to work for a company that wants to take a risk and luckily for us it's paying off it is a good thing megan clority and jack moore with us michael bryant has jumped into the studio 22 Hours in America Nightmare, the new chilling true crime series, comes from award-winning journalist at WTOP in Washington, D.C. I just got a, a text message that you just picked up a listener. They downloaded your podcast in Louisville, Kentucky. So that's nice. Awesome. Absolutely. We'll, nice. Thank you. We'll be right back in two minutes with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. Thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. A bad moon rises. <laughs> Cassie, you're unbelievable. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare, the new chilling true crime series comes from award-winning journalist at WTOP in Washington, D.C., Megan Clarity, and Jack Moore. Michael Bryant has joined us. Michael is a prominent attorney in the state of Minnesota. 
deals a lot with the well you went to the the whole priest abuse thing. cases yeah abuse cases so it'll be interesting to hear michael's take on all you're talking about because he's uh that's one of the areas that he's he's very prevalent in um so going from here now so we can't figure out that so this guy he lost his job but not because of the people that he killed is that correct he just didn't show up for yeah, work I mean, he lost that job Right. Yeah. He lost that job 10 years ago and he had other jobs since then, but he was out of work. He was, he was a welder by trade. So, but then he, you know, he now is about to lose his green card ID. So now you're in a situation where you can't really work on the book. So he, he was looking for work, but out of, out of a job, he'd been out of the job for about two years out of steady work. Mm-hmm. And his, his, his personal life was kind of falling apart. Um, as Megan mentioned, he had been um, engaged but he could, to a long-distance girlfriend, but he couldn't afford a ring. He, didn't, he was kind of bouncing around to various family members' houses. He had been kicked out. He was living with his brother, kicked out, living with his sister, kicked out. Hmm. At, at this point in May 2015, he was living with his father and his stepmother. You know, he's in his mid-30s and he's you know, moving back home. And I don't really think they you know, wanted him to stay very long. So he was you know, kind of living a very precarious um, existence. And, and a lot of it had to do with money that he didn't have. So is it always about money, these situations? Is it always about money? Or sex? I mean, I think that, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to thank God that there was, um, if you could say that, that there, you know, there was, the victim suffered a lot, but not, not that. So if there's one thing to be grateful for. Um, and, you know, the money thing, I think it was, one one thing we know about the the perpetrator as well is he was obsessed with playing the lottery, um, you know. And a lot of people play all the time, but I think you know as much as we can try to understand his psychology that he was obsessed with the idea of easy money, that he just wanted this riches and wealth, you know, to fall into his lap. And maybe when he looked at the Savopoulos family, that's what he saw. He saw all their good fortune, and he didn't see, you know, any of the hard work and the years of struggle that went into it. And he wanted that. Uh, he wanted that desperately. Um, and in fact, after the killings, when he was um, hanging around with some friends, going to the gym, and he was flashing around this large wad of cash, oh, and his friend had never seen him with that much money before, and said, "Hey, where'd you get that?" He said, "I won the lottery." Hmm. Oh, God. That was his big comeback. Uh, I won the lottery. I know. It just makes you shake your head, right? I mean, it's just like, really? It absolutely yeah. does. So, Michael, what, you're, you've you been around this before. Uh, again, Megan and Jack are talking about 22 Hours in American Nightmare. Uh, it's a 10-part series, as a matter of fact. Um, how do you deal with that in court? When you go to court and you've got, uh, you know, this guy who's a pedophile, obviously, how do you deal with not killing them? <laughs> That's yeah. what I'd like to know. Yeah, um, it, it, it depends. I mean, it's hard. I've deposed a number of priests that have been credibly accused um, and dealt with one today that was credibly accused. Um, and, uh, yeah, how they respond, it depends on what information you need. But, yeah, that's quite a deal. Uh, it's, it's, when you look at it in the broader picture, it's, it's scary. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, both of you, when you started, how long have you been been working on this uh, this project? Megan this project and about seven months, but we've been covering it for about four years. I have so since the be- um, and, beginning. And we can say Darren Went had is not a pedophile, but it's interesting. I'd be interested to see right. what Michael says about when you have somebody like that on the stand, and you know their obviously their ethics aren't what your ethics are. How do you you know how do you ask those questions to get? the answers you want or the answer or the answer at all <laughs> well it, it some of it depends on they, they come up with stories sometimes or we'll have survivors that come up with stories sometimes that you never even would have contemplated as possibilities and that's part of because we're normal people and we don't think of crazy stuff like that so sometimes it's hard and uh, uh the thing i found is the smarter they think they are the more you play into them being smart the more they give you Oh, so so you actually pretend you care? <laughs> no, it's not care. I pretend I'm dumb. So. Oh, just, no, that, <laughs> that's not dumb. hard work for you. Yeah, I'm just dumb. <laughs> you know, that's uh, not even going to work for you. Yeah. Just pretending. Well, I think most people so like, like to talk it's about. It's like playing to their right? ego. Yeah, yeah absolutely, exactly. playing to their ego, or or unfortunately, sometimes playing into that whole seduction side. If it's somebody who's into that kind of of uh, of of thing, when you are nice to them, that's the response you get. Get back. 
Really? Yeah. So it's that easy. Just mm, I don't know if it's easy, but it's sometimes yucky. No, oh, I could see that yeah. absolutely. Where does it all? Is there is there one thing this all comes from? Whether it's the situation in D.C. or what you're dealing with, is it, have they ever found that? Is there one thing that has to be there that has to be present for all this other stuff to go on anyway? Is there a personality trait or a mental disorder? Is there anything like that, or is it just money? It's always seems to me it's always about the money. Thing. It's usually about power, power uh, in yeah, a lot of circumstances. Right. It's not about the sex as much, and but you do have the circumstances where it's about money. But uh, in the end, it's also I have money, so I have power, and so in the end, it's being powerful, and, right? And ha- not having that power in some bizarre way. Megan and Jack, did he feel comfort? Uh, did he feel powerful once? Uh, once this uh, at all? You know, uh, the time he spent in the house and all the rest. Of, did, did he ever talk about feeling power then? He never. So he says he didn't do this, right? So oh, he that's never right. Said I forgot he said about he didn't how do he it. felt. But just that idea, like we were saying, and, and you commented on the fact that he was like flashing the money mm-hmm. and then he went to New York right after it to see his fiance and like was taking her out to lavish dinners and paying her rent. And I think there was a certain amount of pride. I mean, that's my word, but pride that he could finally pay for things and, and money was then easily, you know, could solve problems. And to the point about ego is I think I think that afterward he he thought that or he was thinking he was going to get away with it because the fire he thought the fire would destroy all the evidence right and you know based upon his um phone searches because we know in the week after the killings he was you know looking for news no they hadn't identified any suspects so i was i think that he was really thinking you know i'm going to get off got free and i now have forty thousand dollars and how they found him was really extraordinary because while the family was um being held hostage one of the calls they made was to Domino's Pizza to have a pizza delivered to the house. And that pizza pizza was left there, and it didn't burn up in the fire. And they swabbed it for DNA, and they found his DNA on the pizza crust. And that's what they called a week after the killing. Wow. And he used a coupon. (laughs) Joe from Louisville has a question for you. He, he, He wonders... If he if he said he didn't do it, how did he explain to himself, I have $40,000? I mean, if he didn't do it, where'd the money come from? That was the lottery. <laughs> he actually believed well, the lottery. he lottery. Yeah, be a he said, of that. Yeah, and I don't think he took out, like, here's all forty grand, right, but it was right. like, oh, I, you know, I won the lottery, here's, here's 500 bucks, don't, don't worry about it, I'll pay for it. It's a good question, though. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, he, yeah, he says he never did it. He said his brothers tricked him into it, oh. and that he... That he, he this was, I was sitting there in court, right? But I was for six weeks, oh. and the and it starts. I know, I, sitting on a on a court bench for six weeks. Let me tell you. Um, but <laughs> let me tell you, the, the, like a female the, Rodney um, Dangerfield. Let me tell you. <laughs> I know. I'm not trying to make light of it, but it was it no, was I not understand. a comfortable situation. No, I don't I think for anybody in the room for a number of reasons. But the the, the first day, the first, like opening statements, his defense team says it wasn't Darren Went. It was his brothers. Mm. And so half the courtroom is the family of the victims. Half the courtroom is supporting, you know, is theoretically is there to support Darren Wint. And we have these two family dramas playing out in front of us because the, the defendant is, is basically tearing his family apart by accusing them of, of murder. Hmm. It was unbelievable. Did the brothers testify? They did. Oh. And they weren't charged, which hmm. is was an ethical question for us is like, how much can you go into somebody's background? I mean, this guy wasn't, you know, the two brothers, there was no evidence against them. So what do we say? You know, we don't want to be put them in a bad spot, but right. in the end we, in the podcast, we go into, you know, what their alibis are and what their testimony was and why prosecutors and, and investigators didn't think they did it. Wow. It is unbelievable. So where's Darren now? Darren is in federal prison in Louisiana. Oh, that's a great place. Great state to be. Oh, God. Wow. He was um, sentenced in February to um, four life sentences. Good. um, Which is the harshest penalty. The District of Columbia does not have capital punishment. So life without parole is the harshest sentence in in D.C., and that's what he received four times over for once for each of his victims. Hmm. Did the judge, uh, Megan, did the judge have a sense of humor? Did he go, Darren went? To prison. <laughs> <laughs> Darren went. <laughs> no, I like he, it. You know what? The whole, 
the whole time, and, and Michael, I, I'm sure you can speak to this, the whole time there were so many moving pieces in, in this case. Yeah. And so, you know, now you have kind of not two extra defendants, but you have two people really the prosecution has to exonerate because they don't want the jury to think the brothers did it. Um, and the judge was just so meticulous because she didn't want it to be appealed. We didn't want to get to the end of this six-week-long thing oh, yeah. and have, have a, you know, a technicality bring it all back up again. So she was very by the book. She was fantastic. No. And she did have a little bit of a sense of humor. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a... The rules were, were definitely important in this one. You know, I, I, I also do a morning show in town. I've been doing it for 34 years. And, and Catherine, my wife, is here. Hello. And she served on a double murder jury several years ago. Mm-hmm. And the man was found guilty of both murders, got sentenced to life without possibility of parole. And about a month later, I got a letter from this man saying it was my fault that he was found guilty because I planted my wife on the jury. He, didn't, he really did not like taking personal responsibility. Oh Whoa, it was one of his big fatal flaws. Yeah, it was my fault that he was in prison. Wasn't the fact that he killed what he killed his sister and a lawyer? A lawyer. He killed his Ooh, lawyer. That was bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. He killed his lawyer. <laughs> It, it amazes me, Jack and Megan, that people can get this in their head that I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you torturing me? It's amazing they can yeah, think that. Yeah, like it's the, the victim idea, yeah, yeah. Some of the horrible things they I, do. I wonder if it speaks to their background, too. I mean, Darren Wint was a was an immigrant. I think he came here with that idea. Like, I, you know, the world is my oyster. Yeah. I'm in America now. I can, yep. you know, the American dream will be mine. And then he's in his mid-30s living at his dad's house with no money. It's, I mean... There's no question he'd fallen on hard times, and I wonder what that does to you mentally if you already have a penchant to go to a dark place like that. I mean, yeah. that's just all my, you know, surmising, but it is it is interesting and kind of scary to think about. Well, you wouldn't want to make an effort to make money. You wouldn't <laughs> want to do that, like get up and get a job and get off your ass once in a while and work. You know, it's a thought, but apparently a lot of people don't want to do that anymore. It, it, it's amazing to me that this, that people think the way they do think, and, and it's... Quite prevalent, actually. You hear people saying things now, and I—I uh, I don't know. It, it, people really think that they're being. They're, everybody's a victim now, as we said. And I just never got a fair shake, and, and I tried my hardest, and I worked really hard, and everybody turned on me, and life is—it's just horrible. And I'm a wonderful person. That's what they think, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to say. It's, it's interesting, too. I feel like we don't tell the stories of successful people and how hard of a time they had. Yeah. You only hear used about to. the success. Yeah, that, that we yeah. used to. I remember back when I was a little boy uh, that I, you would hear stories about how hard people did work and made a success of themselves. And But you don't hear that anymore, do you? No. Some, some stories. I stay, stay away from the It sounds easy, yeah. 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 I well, stay... Even just the idea of success, you know, because, I mean, obviously this family was represented, a, you know, a tremendous form of success, but there's many people who, who I would consider to have successful lives who don't have a mansion, who don't have luxury cars, you know, but they, they have, they're successful. So I think that yep. he kind of had this warped idea of success, you know, that included this, this extreme wealth that, you know, very few people will achieve. Yeah. Those those poor me people will suck the life out of you. Oh yeah. I stay away from anybody that's poor me. That I'm the victim. That those kind of people will literally suck the life out of you. Well, it's everybody now, isn't it? It's not well, everybody. Not everyone. But <laughs> <laughs> but there every, a group I spent everybody in this room. <laughs> hey, hey. hey. I, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm living the dream. Yeah, exactly. Megan Clarity and Jack Moore. Great, great story. Great reporting. Twenty two hours in American Nightmare. The new chilling true crime series comes from award-winning journalist at WTOP, Hubbard Own, Michael. Nice. In Washington, D.C. Megan, Jack, you've been great guests. A fascinating story. And how do people find you? We are on um, Apple Podcasts, um, Podcast One, anywhere you get your podcasts. And nice. we also have a website, uh, 22hourspodcast.com. That is a wonderful thing. I'm sure a lot of people will be reaching out. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Have a good day. Yeah, there have been so many stories like that now that uh, people do these horrendous things. But I think you, Catherine, the first time dealing with... What horrendous things have you done, Catherine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, trying to think which one it could be. Which one is this? What, Leonard, what was his name? Leonard something? I don't, oh, uh, I don't remember his Richards. name. Richards. Leonard Richards. Yeah, there you go. Is he still he, alive? Richard Leonard's. What was his Leonard name? Richards. Again, I can't remember. I, I'll never forget that. I get a letter from him. I don't know. Him. This is your fault. <laughs> like, what? 
<laughs> he blamed me mm. yeah, he for had, killing his sister and his attorney yeah. because she was on the jury. Yeah, he had a hit list. <laughs> the judge was on it. There's, a lot, of, on it. there's a lot of crazy yeah. mentally yeah. unstable it's people, true, man. Yeah. People don't realize how many people are mentally unstable. Well, They can come across normal, they're functioning mentally unstable people, and you don't know they're mentally unstable, but they're crazy people out there. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. Dan and I have been watching the assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that guy was a real <laughs> nut job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Was it that guy from here, wasn't he? He wasn't from he, here. He's made he lived oh, here for a He stopped in here for a while. Oh, yeah. Okay, it was? He killed two What's people here. What was his name again? Uh, Andrew Cunanan. Uh, Cunanan. Yeah, yeah, he had some screws loose. Yeah, he killed two people here. Well, I can did. talk more about it after the break. He, he had some screws loose. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a break and come back and talk about Andrew Cunanan. <laughs> it's been a wonderful day for mental cases. I was going to say, this has been kind of a dreary. God. We'll be right back with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. I'm talking to Neil Sheehy, ex-NHL defenseman. Neil, you've had a great success following the Nutramost Wellness Plan. How much weight did you lose, and what makes Nutramost different from all those other programs out there? Tom, I dropped over 63 pounds in 44 days, but more importantly, I know how to keep it off. In addition to my success, I have two brothers and two sisters who had great success on the Nutramost Wellness Program, and collectively, we all lost a total of 222 pounds on the program. My brother and I were so impressed that we decided to open up a clinic in Plymouth. Find out how and why Nutramost is unlike any other weight loss plan by attending the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, June 24th, at Jake's in Plymouth. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Register for the Nutramost dinner or schedule your immediate consultation. Call 763-333-7337. That is 763-333-7337. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we started with John Whitehead talking about the essence of evil sex with children has become big business in America. And then Megan and Jack hopped on about another guy. You have money, I don't, therefore I must kill you. It takes it's been a, a special very kind of bold, crazy person to go into somebody else's house and do all Speaking that. Speaking of all this, I want to clear up something that happened yesterday in Minneapolis. So there was a van that hit a bus stop. Oh, yeah, the guy. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of stories and rumors going around. Oh, right. Yeah. So it, it was an elderly white man who hit... Mostly black African Americans. He's eighty eight year old at, guy, right? at a bus stop and during someone in critical condition. And oh. oh. And a lot of rumors went around that he was trying to pick up a prostitute and, and Really? Yeah, yeah. And Are we gonna hear all the rumors? But, but here here's what really happened. He clipped a bus, I know. Here's what yeah, real, here's what really happened. Okay. Grandpa block, didn't know where he was a going. A block away he was didn't know where he was going and he asked for help and he got robbed. Uh, oh, and well, not on Broadway and Lindale. The old neighborhood. And struck, oh, and he's God. old, oh. and he, so he came up to that bus stop, and then he was kind of out of it, and he yeah. he hit the bus mirror, right? The mirror of the bus, and kind of was out of it, and just kept going, and crashed into the bus stop. But he is an old man who just got beat up and robbed. <laughs> And he had made oh, a. He had made. how they left that part out. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he had made two loops around the block That's, before he hit the bus stop, asking people to give him his wallet back to keep the cash. But he wanted his, you know, the his, pictures and stuff. Yeah, he just wanted the stuff in his so, wallet. Yeah. So he got robbed. 
So he get beat up when he was going around again? No, he got beat so up. So he got around. robbed and beaten up. Then he drove around a couple of times. Tw- I think. Tw- I think he made a, the loop twice. Mm. That's all, right. all I yeah. heard is that he was driving he, around. He, and but no charges were pressed hit. against him. He is released. Right. Yeah. He is released. Yeah. And, so and they did so find his. Wa- race they war? did find his yeah. wallet. Okay. They did recover his wallet oh, on good. one of the victims that, that got hit. What? Somebody at the bus stop. Do you think he was aiming for that guy? No. 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 They said he was out of it. Somebody at the bus stop had his wallet. Yeah, it just happened, like right there. And that that liquor store there is a known... Merwin? spot. Yeah. (laughs) I love Merwin liquor. (laughs) (laughs) That's where my mother worked. She worked at Merwin Drugstore. In fact, I got a message. I'll I'll show you, and I won't... Did the guy message you? We won't won't reveal the name of the person who messaged me. I was looking for L.A. Nick, and I hit a bus. (laughs) Did you have his wallet, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're the one that had the wallet. So let's, you can, what you was can he read doing that in message. that neighborhood? We won't. He was lost. Oh. Morning. What up, Nick? Really? What up, Is Nick? Is that the right message? <laughs> you still get, are you still holding? Yeah. Are you still holding? <laughs> Morning. What up, Nick? So bus stop smash. I know you're a public figure in Minneapolis. Who can, uh, who can we talk to about this? I believe Merwin's is partially responsible for this. Nobody's enforcing no drinking, loitering on the liquor store property. Oh, yeah. It is against the law. Hold Merwin's accountable. Find them uh, until they follow the law. Hire off-duty police for Merwin's and their property. Uh, Then, and only then, will things start to change. So I guess there's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of prostitution and drug selling at that court. Okay. So there's people there. But that doesn't mean you can run into them. (laughs) The guy didn't intentionally run into anyone. Well, who knows? I mean, but... Intent is only required for a crime, but whether it's negligent to run into somebody, that would be the, the a lot case. of guys well, talk into it. But he drove around twice after he got smacked in the head. Why didn't he drive out of there? It'll probably what be a civil suit. They said he was he drove around confused. But it'll probably be a civil suit, but it's not going to be a I don't know if it'll be. Well, that's good. He's old and he ran into some people. And, I plan you know. when I get old to just use that card all the time. I'm old. Witnesses say that when he hit the Witnesses do say when he hit the first hit the bus mirror that he was hunched over. Hmm. He was already out of it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Probably had a concussion. So he just... was hunched over on the window as he hit so he wasn't his hands weren't even on the steering wheel he had hit the mirror of the bus slowly very slow mm-hmm. and then plowed through well, but he was already out of it a lot will depend on if he's got much coverage on that vehicle if well, there's not much sure. coverage it'll be over fast people that sure beat him does. up's fault maybe I mean, if really? depending yeah it's yeah. dependent but if he if he got beaten up and he drove around for a little while then it may separate the being beaten up from the driving well, around. you think he's going to hang around in the neighborhood where you ask for directions and you get robbed and beaten I mean, but if I, he drove flee, around the block, flee, he didn't do that. Get out. But he didn't. Why he didn't flee. Because he doesn't Ask know how to get out. In North Minneapolis, are you insane? <laughs> Bad idea. Well, so. I don't, he didn't know where he was. He, it's like pulling off. You, in Florida, you can make one turn and be in. So the why was he there? Why was he Believe <laughs> me, I have. I have been turned. You ever been to areas. Cherry Hill? No. Up a Boynton Beach Boulevard? No. In uh, Florida? No. You go into Cherry Hill. Cops will not even go into Cherry Hill. It's a one way in, one <laughs> way out. Won't go in. They won't. You can call 911 all you want. They go, well, sorry, we don't serve <laughs> Cherry Hill. We go. I worked for the Housing Authority in, 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 in Palm Beach County, and not Cherry Hill is a different world. But you, you go to Cherry That's what You can make one turn and just ask somebody for directions, and everything you own is gone, and you're dead. <laughs> oh, we, wow. We tried to serve some guy in an apartment building in Chicago. Cops wouldn't go there to serve it. Nope. Really? Like, nope, not going in there. Greeny <laughs> <laughs> Green back in the day? I don't know. It's some war. Yeah, there's a lot of places where cops will yeah, not go. Amazing. There's places in North Philadelphia the grass is growing up through North the streets. North Philadelphia. Because nobody will drive through it down that street. Really? Yeah, my, where, wow. my, where my father's dad lived, it's a, there's a cemetery on one side and then there's a street. And that street's all grass now. Wow. Because nobody will drive down. How do the street. people who live there get in and out? Yeah. They walk? The, the mo- not many people live there anymore. It's either oh. burned down, boarded up, and there'll be okay. somebody So squatting. there's nothing to do there. There's not many people. But in Philadelphia? Oh, you can't That's sad. Most of North Philadelphia is like that. That's sad. Really? Up, up past Germantown. There's parts of Germantown that are coming back now, mm-hmm. but right around Temple University around there, it's rough, rough, they need, man. They need that lady to go in and start... Putting houses in That's there. That's a four. Yeah. Used to come on here. Same exactly. with South, same with South Baltimore. It's it's third yeah. world third world country area. Whatever so. happened to that woman? She was interesting. Who? Nicole. The, Nicole. Yeah. She still has a show. Does she? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, now, does she? I think she mostly works out of Detroit. She's fought so much with the city of Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. So she had Hodges and her fighting. Yeah, yeah she, she gave up on the state. Yep. Yeah. She couldn't wait to get out after a while. There's lots, a lot of she people She was actually right trying now. to do good things. She was yeah. actually trying to help. You yeah. can't do that. She's very in, nice woman. You can't do that in Minnesota. Oh, no. you can do some of that. <laughs> Not in the city of Minneapolis. Oh, it's all bad. Do it, in though. the city of Minneapolis, <laughs> when you're working with city council, mm-hmm. no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> Period. <laughs> How about your boy Jacob Fry on TV last uh, night? What did he do? Wouldn't you like it, we man. need to get our police some support and out there. Oh, hilarious, <laughs> darling. Hilarious. Well, there's a big issue with the... I mean, this whole Damon case has made a big dispute between oh, yeah. the county attorney's office and the BCA and the police. and the. I mean, there's a lot of... A lot yeah. of problems there. So, and I don't think I don't yeah. think Mike Freeman's coming back. Well, yeah, I he, I, I saw so. pictures of him at the Fourth of July parade. So, yeah, I, I talked to him. I don't think he's coming. Did back. you talk? Do you talk to him recently? Uh, so. not really. Not okay. in the last couple of days, but I don't think he's going to be the uh, county attorney again. Did he go like this? Hey, look, it's NY Nick. <laughs> <laughs> NY Nick. Well, saw your buddy Melvin on that Fourth of July. Well. I sent you a picture of it. So, so. <laughs> Melvin Carter. I watched oh. him over at the picnic. Oh, uh, you meant Melvin picnic. Tenet. No. What is he doing is celebrating the 4th of July? He can't do that. Yeah, he is. It's, can't do it's it. A big per, it's a big uh, picnic over there in St. Paul. Over no the fireworks, park. though. There was not. There was no fireworks. fireworks. So. I just, what is the big deal with fireworks and him? What is that all about? Uh, money. I don't get it. Was, it. it was about money. So. Yeah, but I, I had a group of people put together that were going to pay for it, and he wouldn't take it. He didn't even call me back. Yeah, I don't know why he didn't call you back. So none of them called me back. It. Tim Walls doesn't call me back. Don't understand that. You know who does call me back, though? Mm. And I, after all the crap I give him, Jacob Fry does call me back. Well, good. I have to say. <laughs> probably too high tonight. I have, to say, <laughs> I have to say one thing about him. He will call you back. Well, that's nature doing that job. And I can call right. him and scream at him for 10 minutes, on his, and he'll still call me back. <laughs> and you don't even live in Minneapolis. I still own something in Minneapolis. Oh, oh there I see. There you go. Okay, good. You got a you got <laughs> He reason. winks at him. That <laughs> was really nice. Let me give you the wink. Really? Hey, you're a property owner, then you're part of Minneapolis. I agree. I agree. So. That's a good a good thing. So yeah, I'm uh, not a resident anymore. So did you did you cover the uh, president's attack on St. Louis Park? Under oh, <laughs> God, he said a tweet yesterday that people were being being stopped from doing the pres- pledge of allegiance, and I don't think anybody was stopped from doing it. Well, so. the city well, yeah, council you're not allowed, said you're this, not allowed to do it. The city council, the city council voted without the mayor. Mayor wasn't there, and that's he's been getting tons of flack, and he wasn't there for the vote. But they voted not to do the Pledge of Allegiance anymore, which they're now reevaluating. But, <laughs> but yeah, because the mayor, well, the because mayor wasn't even backlash. there when they did that. Did you see how many people showed up yesterday? Right. Yeah, hundreds. But, but Trump saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, but some of those people, they're one not from St. Louis Park, which is always a big issue that we talk about and yeah. why people show up. But second thing is, how many of those people? I mean, like, how often does Trump do the Pledge of Allegiance? I mean, you're talking about a group that was doing it every meeting, okay? So if you think that's the right thing to do, then, well, do you every cabinet meeting do the Pledge of Allegiance? I, I, to me, I don't care if they do it or not. <laughs> I know. That's that's what they, care less. a lot of them said. <laughs> but banning you know? it is wrong. Well, if, they if didn't you ban it. Me. They just said we're not going to do it in the meetings anymore. That's all they did. Well, that's not what that's the headline banning said. banning it, though. Well, so you can't do it. You're, they're, you're at the meeting. But they're saying we're not going to start the meetings doing it anymore. I disagree with it, and I think the mayor is going to get it back in. But that but being said, I, no one was stopped from doing it. But City doesn't do it. Right. And so if so you really think it's a big issue, show up there that. and make right. them do it. Well, why isn't anybody giving Minneapolis the you know, same thing? Alex has. Oh. <laughs> Minneapolis, City of Minneapolis hasn't done it in years. That's true. Yeah, a lot, most but places don't cares. do it. Yeah. So. Eh, what are you going to do, you know? I, don't, I just think that if you're going to represent the people who are paying the taxes, there so that you go. you've got your job, you, we have to have some common goal. Why isn't there... Some well, common Well, there's no... Listen, I've seen, this, I've seen this firsthand. So there was a there was a club in, down, in, in Minneapolis in downtown that wanted to upgrade their liquor license to a Class A. Mm-hmm. Okay. The courtroom was, the, the city council room was packed with people against this <laughs> happening. They said they, they're the worst neighbors. They trash the neighborhood. They don't care about anybody who lives around here. It's actually not, not far from Andy's. And 
there's literally overwhelming amount of people saying do not give them a class A liquor license. Okay. They did it anyway. Yeah. They, they don't care. Well, they need money. They don't, <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. and then, the city of Minneapolis gave away within, a bunch. They within, a week, within a week later, that club was closed for the guy being an anti-Semite. That was oh. Jag. It's called Jagger. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Jagger, yeah. Yeah, Club yeah, Jagger. Absolutely. So they shut it down anyway. But they gave him the Class A liquor license, even though the courtroom was overwhelmed. People were out in the hallways saying, do not give this guy a Class A liquor license. Wow. He's trashing our neighborhood. And they gave it to him right away. Like, no questions asked. Hmm. So they don't really care what the people want. No. No, no. they do not. Class A liquor licenses cost money. So. They care problem. about money. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, and they need money. And I'll tell you, they're, they're, they're mad. Of, they're, they're up in arms. We're, so I sold my condo on 7th Street. Oh, you did? Yeah. And uh, I couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted it for $600,000. And that's what they're going for. I mean, the ones behind me are a million. So I'm like, mm. mine's bigger. I want, I want 600000 So I went to Lisa Goodman and said, is there any way I can get this switched to commercial? So I was him and Hobbs, and I got it switched to commercial, and it sold in one day. Hmm. And now everybody who lives in the building is furious because it became a bail bondsman. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole front of the building says bail bonds. Oh, my God. Because the bail bonds that was in front of City Hall... That got that building got knocked down because of New Thriving headquarters. So oh, the bail right. bonds that yeah. was right there in front of City Hall is now my condo. And they let them have a great big sign. In the, the whole, it's commercial. It's so, commercial. Yeah. Well, that Bar La Grassa, they don't get to have a great big yeah, they sign. BLG. You can barely see it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And they're, they're limited on what size? Huh. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're allowed to do, you're allowed and, to make the whole window, and I have the biggest window in yeah. the building. The G was out in Bar La Grassa when I drove by there last week, so... Blah. Really? <laughs> so. Blah. Yeah, that's the greatest. You, you drive down Bar-a-la. Washington, it's like Barla Gross, it's like BLG. <laughs> Two blocks later, Sex World. Yeah. Like, I can't Is that because of the warehouse district? They only let certain size signs? No, because no. one down the block's got a big no, sign, too. They didn't know oh. about that. Why would they limit the Barla They Grasso might have signs? just done it for being uh, elite. They were told. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't like the lady who runs the asso- that association. Which one? The that north the warehouse the district. The North Loop. Hmm. No, the warehouse district Who's association. That? Trying to think her first name. She's a real piece of work, man. Crazy lady, like control freak. She came up to me after me a lot of times. Why? Because she didn't like I was telling talking about crime. In well, the there's tons district. of crime. I down know, but there. she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want anybody to know there's any crime. Now you can't hide it. Now there's a body a week. I mean, you can't a hide it. A body a week. My body. Well, you know, one thing I will tell you. Well, there's actually you. been somebody shot every single day in the this year in the last 365 days. Wow. So Jesus. That's, uh, yeah. Well, we're happy we Can't cheered you up that. today here on the family podcast. We appreciate <laughs> you tuning in. This is great yeah, two days. Massacre and murder. But there has, yeah. been, there has been Mayhem. shots fired every single day for the last year straight. No, it's actually over me. a year now. Doesn't surprise me at all. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. Boom.